0: Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 10, Education and the Family. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that he should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horat, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me, the people, together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. When the Ten Commandments was given both before and after the giving of the commandments, we have statements similar to these just read, whereby the people of God were commanded not only to take heed of God's word, but to teach them to their children and even to their sons' sons, their grandchildren. Thus, when the law was given, The law was given not only to be heard, but to be taught. And it was placed upon the parents as their responsibility to educate their children. Last week we discussed the economics of the family and we saw that one aspect of the economics of the family was the responsibility to care for one's children. This, of course, involves education in the broadest sense of the word. Now, when we discuss the responsibility of education by the parents in order that there may be a law-keeping younger generation, in order that the younger generation may indeed honor their father and their mother. Education in this broad sense involves, first of all, discipline. We are all familiar with the words of Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Again, Proverbs nineteen eighteen says: Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare from his crying. In other words, when God spoke through Solomon these words, he was aware that all of us are inclined sometimes to be too tender-hearted and to spoil our children. And foolish pity is decried. For example, withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Discipline, we are told, is necessary because foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Character requires discipline. St. Paul in Hebrews 12:11 says that if we are not chastened by our parents then we are to all practical intent bastards. We are not legitimate children. And so God, St. Paul declares, disciplines those who are his children that he might be able to make them truly heirs sad fact is in terms of the biblical law most children are brought up as bastards today they are not disciplined we are further told in proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it this verse in particular is especially rich because When it says, train up a child in the way he should go, the implication of the Hebrew text is there, train up a child, discipline a child in terms of his bent, in terms of his direction, his aptitudes, his abilities. In other words, we do not train up a child who has aptitudes, for example, for engineering in terms of music. Or a child who has aptitudes in terms of farming, in terms of law. As soon as we see the aptitudes and the abilities and the direction of the child, we discipline him, we train him in terms of his And When he is old, he will not depart from it. So that not only does scripture require discipline, But it requires discipline in terms of the realities and the aptitudes of the child. The two must go hand in hand. And one of the sad facts is that so often discipline is without intelligence. And too many parents, and we can add sometimes too many wives, try to make out of their children or out of their husband something for which he has no aptitude. Then further, we are told that a child left to himself, untrained, undisciplined, is a shame to his parents. Thus, basic to the parental responsibility to educate, to teach, is discipline. But second, we must say from a study of scripture that discipline is not a substitute for sound instruction and for proper teaching. As a result, parents have a duty to provide the child with a godly education. We are told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and also the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again and again, these statements are made in scripture. We might note in passing that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is learning it is accumulated and the sound learning has as its beginning the fear of god but wisdom is not learning it is more than learning it is the insight it is the common sense it is the ability to use learning intelligently and whether it be learning or knowledge and wisdom The fear of God is basic to both. Wisdom, true wisdom, rests on faith, and true knowledge presupposes God. Now, when scripture emphasizes that there must be godly knowledge and wisdom, we must add further that in terms of scripture, there can be no neutrality in education. There is nothing neutral under the sun. We are either for something or we are against it. Education by the state will have statist ends. It will promote statism or socialism. Most of us grew up when schools still had teachers who were by and large godly, and of outstanding character, so that we did not see the implications of state schools in our day. But, as those of you who have read my study, The Messianic Character of American Education, know, all the philosophers of the public schools from Horace Mann to the present, with the exception of Barnard over a hundred years ago, had socialistic premises. Their purpose in bringing about state support and state control of the schools was to abolish Christianity, to socialize the child. And in recent years, of course, they have been able to bring their philosophies to full fruition. Education by the state will have status, that is, socialist ends, and the hippie is the natural end product of our education. But we are not then to turn to education by the church, because education by the church will have churchly, ecclesiastical ends. The schools should not be subordinated either to the church or the state. Each will promote itself. After all, the church of our Lord's Day taught, as we saw last week, that men should give to the church, that is, to the temple, rather than caring for their parents. In other words, the church of our Lord's Day was teaching sin as a virtue. The church is still do that now according to the law children are required to obey their parents and the counterpart of this is the duty of parents to teach their children the fundamentals of obedience and the fundamentals of obedience are only taught through God's law and hence as our scripture declares the obedience to teach thy sons and thy sons' sons. One of the requirements in the law was that all parents and children should hear a reading of the law or read through the law once in every seven years. This was done in Old Testament times every sabbatical year, every seventh year, there would be a series of days when all would gather together to hear the priests or Levites read the law through in its entirety. Now, this was a duty that was taken seriously by the church for centuries. And the result was of a lectionary which those of you who are Episcopalian in background are familiar with. The lectionary provided for the reading of the entire scripture over a period of time, so that one would hear at morning and evening prayer each Sunday portions of scripture read so that the whole of the scripture over a period of years would be read through regularly. This then is an obligation, a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, in order that the child might learn his duty to God and his duty to his parents. Sound instruction, therefore, a knowledge of God's work is basic to the education of the child. But third, we must add, according to scripture, that because the law is practical, it's down to earth, biblical concepts of education appear very plainly to be practical. As a result, the common opinion came to exist in Israel, which summed up the teaching of the scriptures. That a man who did not teach his son the law of God and a trade, reared him to be a fool and a thief moreover we find this saying from Simeon who is the son of Gamaliel who we meet in the New Testament in the book of Acts not burning but doing is the chief thing when Josephus the Jewish historian, compared Hebrew education, biblical education with Greek education. He pointed out that the fallacy of Greek education was that it was either entirely abstract and theoretical or it was totally practical. It did not have a proper connection between principle and practice which biblical education had. Fourth, we must say that biblical education was family-centered. It emphasized the responsibility of parents and children. Now, this is a point which Christian schools have found to be a very, very interesting one. I've talked with a number of school boards in the state of California, incidentally, that have had a great deal of experience with having children that are charity students. And invariably, each school has had this experience. If they take in some children who are too poor to pay a tuition for their schooling, these children are the discipline problems in the school. But the minute they drop these children as a total charity patient and say to the child or to the parents, we will take your child without any tuition since you have no money. But so many hours of work are required around the school by the parent, the mother or the father or the child, there is no discipline problem. In other words, there is now a sense of responsibility, and the entire character of that child changes. When there is a responsibility for providing for the education, in other words, through money or through work, there is immediately a sense of responsibility. Now, a person reared and schooled in the doctrine of responsibility to obey and if needed to care for his parents and to provide for his children is a person who is a disciplined person, and he passes on an inheritance to his children of moral discipline, of example, of material wealth, and of a sense of responsibility. But when the state takes over education, the state then becomes the responsible party. And it becomes, as we saw last week, the true family, the true father, and the true child of man. When man has the responsibility and the duty to be competent and to be provident, The dignity and the masculinity of man is further. One of the very, very significant differences between a Christian school system and a status school system is the performance of both. When our schools in this country were predominantly, and in fact earlier, entirely Christian schools, the outstanding pupils were the boys. But as education progressively became statist, progressively the performance of the boys deteriorated and the performance of the girls began to pass up that of the boys. So that today by and large the outstanding pupils in any class at any school are girls and the boys do not compare in their performance this is the most significant fact since responsibility is the basic aspect of man under God he is to be responsible for the care of his household He is to be responsible under God for leadership in society. An educational system which is geared to this faith produces boys who are more responsible. But an educational system which is geared to the statist concept that the state is the responsible agency ...has a psychological destructiveness on the male student. Thus, in our Christian schools, although our society, by and large, is still geared to the socialist concept, boys, on the average, while they have not yet in most schools surpassed the girls, are performing to a far higher level... Than in the public schools. And this is a most significant fact. In other words, the Christian school, because it restores man to his proper place, because it restores the family orientation, restores masculinity to the body. And it also restores a womanly characteristic to the girl in status education, women either become fluffy fluffy luxuries or aggressive competitors to men. There is no stability because there is no center God. there is no sense of true function, and therefore education becomes abstract or vocational one of the fearful things about our education today is that it has become so over specialized i recall when i was doing graduate work at berkeley as i came to know a number of the very superior scholars whom i in particular liked the thing that struck me most forcibly was their total specialization so that an important fact that tied into their field but happened to be in another field they totally ignored in fact they prided themselves on their ignorance of something that was outside their specialty even though it might be very closely related they drew such arbitrary lines in terms of their specialization that they would not look outside their field. And so there was no sense of relationship to other fields of knowledge. This is the consequence of this lack of center, a lack of meaning in education. In modern education, the state is the educator, the parent and the true family of man. And so the child is taught to look to the state. And what is the answer to all problems? Another law. Win an election and you have salvation. Pass a law and you've answered all problems. So that the orientation becomes the state. The state has the answer rather than the fact that each man on his own through his work through his independence must solve his problems, moral decision is transferred to the state instead of residing in the person fifth we must say in terms of the biblical law The basic to the calling of every child is to be a member of a family the family is the first and basic institution of scripture of life virtually all of us virtually all people are destined to become someday husbands or wives fathers and mothers and all are born as children And so all of us have a responsibility to live in terms of family life. But we are not educated for this. The status school, when it deals with the family, deals with it in terms of facts. Let us give them some facts, sex education. Let us teach the girl home economics. Let us teach the boy something about this or that aspect of life, and there are boys' courses in family living. But it is not facts that make for family living, and the best teacher of home economics is always the mother. And so the effect of the school as it approaches the family is factual and destructive. And only the Christian school. Only godly education, which is family-oriented and family-controlled, can meet the need, can teach the child truly to honor his father and his mother. The family is, after all, the best and the truest educator. There is no education that compares to that given by the parents. There is no educator to equal the mother. We are today given a constant brainwashing to the effect that the parents should not interfere with the education of the children. In fact, there was an article in the papers just this past week which stated that a psychiatrist had given a report based on a study of three or four children that these children had become virtually psychotic when their parents were trying to teach them. But the minute the parents backed off and said, we won't interfere with the education of our children, then these children blossomed and began to do marvelously. Now, of course, this is rubbish. There is no teacher equal to a father or a mother. And the most difficult task, as I pointed out previously, in all education is accomplished by every mother when she teaches her baby who can neither speak nor understand any language the mother tongue. Now there's no professor or no teacher from kindergarten up through graduate school who has a more difficult task than that to teach someone who can neither read nor write nor understand any language language and it is done in a very short time by every mother that's the most difficult task in all education and it's done routinely
1: but even greater than that the task
0: of moral training the discipline of good habits is an inheritance from the father and the mother to the child which surpasses all others. And this is taught routinely by family living. And there is nothing that can take its place. Nothing that the public school can do or the church can do can equal that moral discipline and training from the home that becomes second nature to each child. Finally, biblical education not only emphasized learning, but godly learning. Earlier, I cited the proverb, just as a man is required to teach his son the Torah, the law, so is he required to teach him a trade. Another proverb incidentally said, he who teaches his neighbor's son the Torah, the law, it is as if he had begotten him. There is another Hebrew proverb that comes from ancient times that is very, very revealing. An ignorant man cannot be saintly. An ignorant man cannot be saintly. Holiness is not a self-generating act. Holiness requires growth in grace and obedience to God, which requires knowledge. Thus, an ignorant man cannot be saintly he must have a knowledge of the word of God or he cannot conform to God's requirements. And he must have growth in that knowledge and growth in grace. Hence, an ignorant man cannot be saintly. Education, therefore, is an important aspect of the parental duty. And its goal is that the child grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Take heed to thyself. Keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest thou depart, they depart from thy heart, All the days of thy life. But teach them. Thy sons. And. Thy sons. Sons. And so. In order that we may have. A generation.
1: That honors
0: parents. Godly education. Christian education. Is basic. Commandment declares, honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Let us pray. our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto thee for our parents and for their discipline and training of us. And we pray that we, in turn, may pass on a goodly heritage unto our children and our children's children. We thank thee, our God, that thou hast called us to be members of thy family. And because we are thy sons and not bastards, thou dost discipline us and teach us. By thy chastening we have been made heirs of thy kingdom. Our God, we thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions now with respect, first of all, to our lesson? Yes. No, uh, knowledge is learning. It's the knowledge, for example, of scripture. But wisdom is the common sense, the insight the ability to apply it. Knowledge without wisdom, of course, is nonsense. Yes. We have, for example, many learned fools in our universities. They have an abundance of knowledge, but no wisdom.
1: Because the girls, I feel that the girls is a possibility because it's a family. relationship And, very, very sad, and kind of that can be And sometimes do the I do do
0: I think one of the uh, most interesting things done in this area is at St. Thomas uh, School, the Reverend T. Robert Ingram in Houston, Texas, an excellent Christian school, but in that school, which is for both boys and girls, the boys and girls are in separate classes throughout the grade school. So that there are two first grades, one for the boys and one for the girls. They have all kinds of contact on the school grounds and so on, but they are taught separately. This has very interesting repercussions. The boys when they are in coeducational classes don't like to compete with the girls and as a result the girls who like to please the teacher do better the girl naturally wants to please the boy has a more critical temperament so the girl in a coeducational class is naturally the teacher's pet but in these classes Where the girls are in one class and the boys in another, the boys compete with one another and do far better. So the results have been quite remarkable. And I think uh, this should be the pattern of education. When there is uh, a competition between boys, it's a wholesome competition, and the boys are ready to compete and do their schoolwork much more ably and effectually.
1: That you. the and this is The and
0: One of the finest books in this area is by Dr. Zimmerman of Harvard and Cervantes, Dr. Cervantes, uh, entitled simply The Family. And in the course of that book, the point is made that in every cell of their body, boy and girl, male and female, are different. So that even a single cell, when examined, reveals the differences between male and female totally different and yet as they point out in this book these two educators we have assumed that there is no difference and of course the point they make is that it has had rather deadly uh effects on both male and female yes Yes. there's no harm in having them of course co-educational schools provided that the kind of thing done by uh, St. Thomas school is carried out there they are together which is wholesome but they are educated differently and it isn't that the girls education is any uh, uh, bit inferior at St. Thomas it's every bit as good Yes. Yeah. no they aren't able to carry that out thoroughly and I don't think it's necessarily uh, good I think it's good for the boys to have some women as teachers especially in grade school yes Yes,
1: very definitely. Yes.
0: Yes, I think that is, on the whole, true. The best students are those whose parents do take a part in their uh, education and, and interest in it. But, of course, things like this report by the psychiatrist are being done deliberately to break down the parental authority and the parental responsibility. Yes. Yes. Well, of course, the breakdown of responsibility is such that now in the newer schools that are being built, I think I've mentioned this to some of you before, there is a supervisor for every four teachers, and the supervisor sits in an office with uh, a a switch so that uh, he or she can switch on each classroom. And listen in and make sure the teacher is teaching exactly what he or she has been told to teach and is not slipping in anything that deviates from the curriculum or the textbook. So you see, the responsibility is going back further. And since the textbooks now are federally sponsored textbooks, all of them, this further destroys responsibility. It isn't the state that is choosing the textbooks. The state is choosing several textbooks out of some that the federal government has given as possibilities. Yes. What was that? Well, the part the UN plays in education is the part that the federal government chooses that it should uh, play, yes. There's a great deal of UN material that is included in uh, the curriculum. Yes? Yes. Yes, women usually will work better for, under a man than a woman. Yes. Our time is really just about up, but there are a couple of things since uh, one of you asked that I comment on what's happening on the monetary uh, scene. We are, of course, seeing on the monetary scene today the grossest kind of immorality as the various governments are trying to play fast and loose with their peoples and, in effect, to rob them. Transpick has spoken of all kinds of bonds today, government bonds in particular, as certificates of guaranteed confiscation. Devaluation is staring us in the face, but everything has been done lately by our administration to postpone it so that the next administration will have to bear the responsibility, whether this will the crisis will last that long I don't know but it is significant that this week Friday and Saturday in France beginning in fact Thursday many storekeepers began to shut their doors even though they had a lot of stock and people were crowding the stores to buy They close their stores rather than accept paper money. In other words, they do believe that devaluation is only a question of time. And rather than accept paper money and then find that they've lost 20 or 30% of its value by devaluation, they are closing shop and refusing to sell. If this movement, which is spreading in france takes uh, uh, uh increases it will precipitate uh, precipitate a crisis within a week or two a very serious one now the french crisis we must understand this is not the worst crisis today the french do have a monetary crisis there is a run on the franc But the pound and the dollar are in worse condition the reason for the crisis in France is this the average French peasant and a lot of the French people in the cities but especially the peasant understands gold he distrusts paper and whenever there is any sign of a weakness on the part of the paper money he immediately starts selling it to get gold discounting it and this is exactly what's been happening and it's because the French people are more alert than those of England and America that France is in the crisis today if the American public and the English public were as alert our crisis would be far worse than that of France now It's hard to know what the consequence will be, how soon the crisis will head up. But meanwhile, the price of coins has been moving up steadily. The price of bullion has been high, although it's been fluctuating. That's a more controlled market, and it's hard to determine what the realities are there. But a crisis is at present building up as a result of this uh, business in France of closing shops. It will be interesting to watch it in the next week or two. One of the things that will delay it coming to a head is that we are not getting anything in the way of an uncensored press. How many of you have read of this matter of the French shops closing has anyone read of it in the papers well that's indicative you see this came through coin dealers who had it by direct uh, conversation with agents in Europe but not a word of this crisis in our papers this delays you see the impact of this in other countries since neither the English public nor uh... the canadian or american or japanese or any others are given word of this yes uh... de gaulle was not trying to ruin our dollar de gaulle was just trying to take the paper dollars that he had and convert them into gold in other words Supposing you had money in a bank and you were sure the bank was going to fold up, would that make you a bad character if you tried to get your money out? That's all de Gaulle tried to do. His first course... Now, I believe de Gaulle is a socialist and I regard him as a dangerous person, but I cannot blame him for his attitude with regard to the monetary situation. All he tried to do was to convert his paper dollars into gold and we cobbled him for it and treated him as a villain there was nothing wrong with that moreover when de Gaulle refused about a week ago to devalue the franc it was because he said we need to face up to the crisis and raise the price of gold that's the answer and he was right there I don't like to call de Gaulle right, but you have to. You have to give the devil his due. And in this respect, he has been in the right. Uh, Yes? Yes, that's what I understand. He didn't, as far as I know, counsel any course of and He just described the situation. and this
1: and and uh, yes.
0: uh, Pick will not speak on anything except money. He will not step outside of his field. He can tell you better than anyone else in the world what the exchange rates are, what money is selling for, what paper money is selling for in various countries, the price of gold uh, and of some other metals like palladium and platinum and diamonds. He uh, carries reports on that, but he never steps outside of his field. He's a specialist. So you'll never get an answer from him about any recommendation on anything else he was avoiding it he always does yes
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yes, yes.
0: right but, yes that's very true but the point is Senholtz might recommend and has land, but Pick will not get into that area at all. That's not his territory. Well, our time is up and
1: we stand adjourned.